All right, this is Dark Days Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Mike, and tonight I'm joined by Chig. How's it going, Chig? It's going pretty good, Mike. How are things for you? Not too bad, not too bad. Just staying indoors, keeping out of trouble, and getting ready to talk about Cyberpunk Red and its rad jumpstart, which came out a couple months back. Um, yeah, definitely some good stuff. But uh, Chig, before we get started with this episode, why don't we talk about our game updates, which I think yeah, is, uh, it's my turn this time. It's your turn, Mike. What have you been up to? Well, what have I been up to? I've been playing in too many games lately. Um, hopefully this episode will have come out after Virtual Horror Con, where I hopefully would have run some very successful games. But before that, I was at PAX East, where I ran uh, some Call of Cthulhu. Actually, first time I ever ran Call of Cthulhu, which was a blast. Um, has a really great group for that. And only killed one player. I'm sorry, one character, one character, Chig. Sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> That's an important distinction to make. <laughs> it is, it is. The uh, the big bad monster at the end was pretty close to um, uh, executing another character, um, but actually rolled really low on their damage, and they made it through with like uh, one hit point, had a really lucky luck roll, and the characters were able to uh, destroy the canopic jars and make it out of the necropolis. And it was a really good time. And also ran um, the Aramain contract, which is a adventure that uh, Chris wrote. Uh, did that with two groups. And it was actually really interesting. It, it ran very well, but we only got through two thirds of the adventure. There's actually a very convenient stopping points two thirds of the way through. And that's where I ended it each time. But due to some uh, structural changes I made, they spent a lot more time in the Elysium in this, this vampire fifth edition game, uh, just kind of talking to all the NPCs, getting a feel for what was going on in the city and trying to use that to their advantage as they were negotiating. So that's pretty epic as well. That's a, that's a good reason to uh, not make it all the way through too much role playing. <laughs> yeah. They had a blast with it. And um, yeah, I came out, it worked out really well. So it was definitely good stuff. Excellent. And with that, Chig, let's move on over to the gaming news a little bit, because there's been some exciting stuff going on. So what kind of cool stuff is there from Onyx Path? Uh, of course, recently we had Night Horrors Spilled Blood come out for Vampire the Requiem. Uh, this is another great Night Horrors book, I believe the third that's come out for Vampire the Requiem, which provides a lot of uh, extra rules, antagonists, or potential uh, even player character ideas for uh, Vampire the Requiem. Uh, very well received, a lot of people really are enjoying it. And in addition to that, for Chronicles of Darkness, there's also Geist the Sin Eater's second edition, which finally came out following a very successful Kickstarter. And uh, we here at uh, Darker Days, through our little publishing imprint, have also now updated our Geist adventure, Ashes of Memory, to Geist the Sin Eater's second edition. So if you pick that up, you can get both the first edition rules and characters and also the second edition. Um, so it's a really great opportunity with, uh, in addition to that cool adventure, also some really cool, uh, an awesome setting information that Chris wrote up regarding the underworld of Paris. It's a great game, guys. If you haven't read it or played through it yet, you really should. It is, it is a really fun scenario. Yeah, definitely. And from Modiphius, we also have Fall of London, which that's a, uh, another vampire, uh, fifth edition, uh, adventure and a source book about London and all the uh, goings on there. It provides a very extensive chronicle and a lot of great role-playing opportunities in a non-US-centric uh, setting. So that's definitely pretty awesome. And as we uh, announced in previous episodes, the Darker Days con schedule is sort of in flux um, because we're recording this episode 
pretty early on. It's going to come out in April, I'm assuming. Uh, we don't really know what's changed, but pay attention to our uh, Twitter feed, which is at Darker Days Radio, or maybe our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Darker Days Radio, uh, to get more updates on that. And Chig, any other news that you want to highlight? No, we're good. Let's let's jump right into uh, today's episode, Cyberpunk Red Jumpstart. Yeah, let's talk about Cyberpunk Red. We actually got the jumpstart for free from our Talsorian Games. Uh, thank you very much. Really appreciate that. Uh, they gave us uh, a copy actually at Gen Con last year uh, so we could review it and kind of let people know what we thought about uh, the new update to the Cyberpunk setting. And of course, Cyberpunk Red is an update to Cyberpunk 2020, which was in turn an update to uh, Cyberpunk 2013, which is really... Uh, Chig, correct me if I'm wrong here, but really the original, the first attempt at a cyberpunk role-playing game, right? That is correct. Uh, there may have been one before it, but I am unaware. Yeah, and it really it hit it out of the park. Uh, CP 2020 and 2013, uh, we previously discussed on Darker Days Radio's number 102 and 103, but we're going to give you just like a quick primer and update on the uh, the setting right here, especially how it's changed with Cyberpunk Red. So previously in the cyberpunk universe, corporations had become the preeminent powers in the world. They were running cities, controlling populations, waging wars, and always, always running in the black. You know, nation states, countries, they'd really fallen to the wayside, whereas these giant mega corporations took control. Small towns and countrysides were depopulated as low-skilled labor, um, or unskilled labor even, uh, moved into the large megacities and arcologies uh, looking for work. Uh, the largest of these, of course, uh, is Night City, which was a huge sprawl on the west coast of the United States. And in 2023, at the height of the Fourth Corporate War, a pocket nuke was detonated in Night City, destroying a substantial part of the city. In response, the United States government, or what remained of it, nationalized the now very weakened corporate military forces of like Miltech and Arasaka. Other countries followed suit, seizing corporate assets um, that were taking part in this war and really just destroying the world around them. And that's how you know it's a fictional setting. The United States nationalized something. Yeah, I was thinking that too, Chig, as I was reading <laughs> through. It, a bit of a stretch. A bit of a stretch. Hasn't happened recently. But here is actually the very interesting thing about the setting. For the first time since the 1980s now, corporations were actually running in the red. And in addition to that, there was also a miasma of red clouds in the skies. People began to rebuild from the corporate destruction of the 2020s. And that is what has brought us to what is called the time of the red. So the setting book uh, contains briefs on different time periods of Night City uh, from 2013 to 2040, uh, which I think is great. It's really nice and um, gives you uh, a lot of touchstones uh, and familiarity for people that are familiar with older uh, versions of the cyberpunk setting. Um, so that's really some really great stuff. Yeah, the uh, the thing with, with uh, the setting before is it was very static uh, from 2013. I mean, I get it. It's only... Only a seven-year span. Not much happens in seven years. Uh, but, you know, this corporation is always in charge of that. That corporation is always in charge of this thing over here. Uh, there wasn't a lot of setting change between editions previous. So uh, I do like that uh, 
the updated uh, the Cyberpunk Red uh, is a a clear change in the setting, a clear and massive change in the setting. Yeah, definitely. So really, countries have kind of somewhat made a comeback, whereas uh, corporations have lost a lot of their power because they expended so much resources, so much money just finding each other um, and lost a lot of valuable infrastructure. So that kind of levels the playing field in a lot of ways, which is uh, a pretty... It's a, it's a drastic change from how cyberpunk used to be, where the corporations controlled everything. And the, the individual running the game, um, the, the game master, was always supposed to try to keep the player characters as poor and downtrodden as possible. Um, it seems like this setting has a lot more opportunities for them, uh, which is pretty well, cool. Well, now, to be fair, the cyberpunk as a, 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 a concept, a setting, uh, as a... Mm-hmm. As a a genre that's what i'm looking for the cyber cyberpunk as a genre kind of breaks down if the protagonists get too much power if they get too far ahead of you know not necessarily dirt poor but they can't be the ones who are in charge of things because then they're not punk anymore <laughs> they're the ones you know they are the man whom other cyberpunks will rise up against so yeah, no, that's a great point, Chig. And really, that should be the closing of many cyberpunk stories is when the player characters, if they're more protagonistic, if they affect change, or if they are an antihero of some sort or really an antagonist in many ways, they join the system, right? Absolutely. Uh, the You either, you know, tear down the system and start something new or you die trying. Or... You know, you give up and become another cog in the machine. Yeah, definitely. And I think actually that's a good way of differentiating uh, Cyberpunk 2020 in a lot of ways from the other very popular Cyberpunk uh, RPG setting right now, which is Shadowrun. Because in Shadowrun, you're really working for the man most of the time. And you know, Chick, now I'm thinking about this and kind of starting to make this point. One of the player classes uh, or roles that's available in uh, cyberpunk red and all the cyberpunk settings is the exec who really is someone who's part of the system but is trying to change it shadowrun uh, usually has a bunch of people who are kind of just like um i don't know how you want to put it like contractors contract yeah they're all contractors for corporations typically sometimes they're working for for individuals and the like uh someone scrounged up enough uh new yen to uh uh hire some shadowrunners to do something um and other people do actually go back and harken back to earlier Shadowrun editions and focus a lot more on those like punk elements of trying to change the setting. But the default assumption in a lot of ways is in Shadowrun is working for corporations. Um, whereas I feel like Cyberpunk Red and also previous Cyberpunks are a bit more loose on, on what your player character's place is in this setting and who they're going to be working for. Who do they serve, Chig? And who do they trust? In previous editions, the only people who had the only groups that had money were the corporations. That's why you know nobody lives in the suburbs or the 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 rural towns anymore because all the money is concentrated in these corporations, and all these right. corporations are concentrated in these you know giant arcologies in you know these giant cities. Yeah. So if you want to make a living, you work for a corporation. Now your your skill set may be, you know, I I do data entry all day, every day, or I 
you know, work in the uh, the clinic that this corporation has set up for its uh, employees to use because, you know, that's how uh, that's how health insurance works in this horrible future. It's tied to your job and you go to the corporate clinic and you go see the corporate doctor and uh, your your, you know, your health insurance records, you know, everything that you do. The corporation knows all about that. They can look into it. Um, so, yeah. Uh, in the past, at least, if you wanted to to be a cyberpunk, then yes, you were a cyberpunk who worked for the for a corporation against another corporation. You were a, a disposable asset that you know Corporation A would hire to have you go steal inf- steal information or a prototype or kidnap a scientist or whatever from Corporation B. The other cool thing that uh, we have here in the setting book, of course, is there's lots of information about the uh, the setting of cyberpunk and like the culture that's going on, you know, the um, the style over substance, uh, which is one of the key kind of themes uh, running through the book. Um, it gives you lots of like sl- uh, slang lingo, goes into uh, the state of lots of different corporations and the like, and uh, just gives you enough information to uh, to get you by at this time. Uh, and get you in to the cyberpunk setting itself. Until the core rulebook comes out with even more information, more roles, more more setting. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, people are eagerly awaiting that. Um, so let's talk about the uh, the jumpstart a little bit more. You know, as we mentioned, as we're going over the setting, there is, of course, a setting book, which is included. Uh, there's also a rulebook cheat sheets uh some little combat maps you can use with the uh uh the settings and scenarios and there's also six pre-generated characters uh there's the rocker boy slash girl there is the fixer a solo the nomad the netrunner and the tech so rocker boy is um kind of like a, a punk rocker who is also really good at um you know getting their followers getting people uh motivated to do things uh you have the fixer who's in a lot of ways the face of the group you're really good at uh, having a lot of connections contacts being able to fence goods and the like uh the solo is the combat monster of the group the nomad is actually someone who typically resides outside of these mega cities uh is usually like part of a biker gang or something has like kind of a tribe that they run with uh the net runner is the hacker of the group and the tech is a uh another kind of like cyberware sort of character uh, who's really good at like mechanics and the like. Or doctoring. You can be a, you can be a, a, a non-mechanical tech. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, yes, yeah, so that's, that's pretty much what's included in the kickstart or the jumpstart. Um, Chig, what are the rules like? The rules are a, reconfiguration a rejiggering a slightly more streamlined version of uh, the classic interlock system Uh, you have 10 stats ranging from 1 to 10 you have hit points you have enough that you might be able to survive a gunshot wound if uh, they don't roll too horribly against you Mm -hmm. Um, every stat has uh, several skills associated with it Skill checks, of course, are the main mechanic of the game. Uh, You add your stat, plus your skill, plus a random element. You roll 1d10. Uh, There are critical successes. If you roll a 10, you 
roll and add another d10. So the critical successes are exploding d10s. Uh, and they have critical failures, uh, where if you roll a one, you roll another d10 and you subtract it from your roll. So it's uh, it explodes in both directions. Uh, mm -hmm. An 18 is considered a competent difficulty, where a 22 is considered heroic. Uh, so, not a lot between competency and heroism in this game, <laughs> but there you go. Yeah, I mean, when you're running off of a, a D10 roll, that only gives you so much granularity, right? There's only a granularity of 1 to 10, basically. Um, well, but it really shows you that uh, the competence of uh, stats and skills is really important to... Uh, making an effective character. I mean, and they do explode, so, you know. Um, let's see. Uh, you Every every role, as mentioned previously, there are roles in this game, not classes, but roles, um, has a uh, unique ability called a role ability uh, that uh, are... Sub Supposed to exist in the core book, but uh, are not included in this uh, quick start, uh, which is fine. You know, it's just a, it's just a, it's a quick start. It's meant to just get you into the game, get you excited about it, and it does a good job of that. Mm -hmm. um, the life path system returns. I did check. Uh, there is no way to die on the life path system. <laughs> uh, good, thanks for checking. Which that. is it? Which is a shame. <laughs> Because that's always fun. Oh, I died. Um, it's very similar to the uh, previous uh, edition of Life Path found in Cyberpunk 2020. Yeah, you roll up to see who your different relationships are, things from your past. You know, do you sure. have like a, a a romantic partner or not? That sort of thing. Do you have friends? Do you have enemies? What's your personality? Do you have a boyfriend or girlfriend? Uh, the combat system is a slightly more streamlined <laughs> version uh, with a move and a basic action economy. And the uh, Jumpstart rulebook includes a small selection of cyberware to uh, tide over uh, your players, including uh, concealed weapons, reflex boosters, and, of course, the slice and dice monofilament whip. It's got to be there. Oh, it has to be. Yeah, um, yeah, it's enough cyberware just to like get you started. It seems like you know there's a uh, there's some things for different limbs. You have a lot of like audio enhancers, that sort of thing. Um, so it's enough to get you started for a couple of adventures, but uh, not really enough to to play a long running cyberpunk game. Because uh, for people that are familiar with cyberpunk, oh, man, one of the big things they used to have were those um it was the Chrome catalogs, right? With uh, all the different like cool cyberware, different like bits of tech. Uh, in gear that uh, you could equip your characters with. And uh, this is only a, a tiny, tiny, minuscule fraction of uh, what's come before. Now, I'm sure that you could, you know, still use the equipment found in those books with, you know, minor, minor changes to bring them up to date. But uh, no, they are not included in the Jumpstart Kit. But what is included in the Jumpstart Kit is uh, your favorite subject and mine, Net running, Mike. Would you like oh, to tell man. us a little bit about net running? Oh, geez, Chig, I, I can't wait to check this out. Net running. They're, I think they're going to fix it. They're going to do this. Oh no, oh no, Chig. They made the same mistake as recent Shadowrun editions. Okay, all right. So net runners um, uh, that are hacking can take either meat space actions or a number of net space actions uh, based on their interface stat. 
Okay. So, you know, this uh, pre-generated character that we have here uh, has an interface of seven, which means that they get three net actions. This means that during combat, everyone has to pause everything and wait while the Netrunner sits there and does three rather complex actions with a system that no one else can interact with. Uh, I don't believe anyone else can get a an interface stat um, if the one um, uh, role ability in this corebook is to be believed. Yeah, I didn't see for it, but again, it's just the jump start. They might change that in the full full system yeah but man even Probably then not. like stopping everything to uh to do these really complex roles in this space that no one else can interact with is it really just slows down the game and that's been the issue with the last uh three editions of Shadowrun that i've played and might have been a, a problem in other ones you know having these hacking rules that are needlessly complex is just kind of a it's it, again slows things down and kind of can ruin the drama of the scene um, so my suggestion, of course, would be unless you have tons of netrunners in your crew or you're running this very dramatic and complex hacking scene, um, you should really ignore a lot of these systems and just streamline it down to one interface action or net space action per round. Because you can resolve a lot of that just by saying like, OK, here's the core thing that you need to get through is there's some black ice right in front of you, uh, uh, you know, evil security program, which is going to is going to blast you and prevent you from getting to whatever goal you have and just make that the one thing that the the hacker has to interact with that scene or just have the one core objective that they want to achieve that scene and just have a role for that so my uh my high school and college groups had a very similar rule for our uh uh net runners and uh deckers in uh shadow run um the guy running the game said, you can't be a netrunner or a uh, <laughs> or a decker. Mm-hmm. I will have an NPC on board that will do all of that for you. So when we came to a part where we had to have someone, you know, hack open a door or get through their s- security, he would say, all right, he zones out for a minute and he comes back and he says, all right, it's done. You guys can go on now. <laughs> Because, yeah, otherwise it will just utterly bog down. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that's uh, that's something I've had to use as well when, you know, the in the Shadowrun, the Decker doesn't show up to the game. They have to call up an NPC anyway to do some remote hacking for them and stuff like that. So, yeah, it, it's not this. This system was not updated in the way it should have been. And I understand that they want to give like a lot of cool hacking abilities to um, these netrunners and the like. But there's probably a more efficient way of doing it. Uh, reducing it down to one action and just giving, you know, maybe more variety in actions, although there's quite a variety in here. Yeah, they got two or three things they can do. Jeez, <laughs> uh, uh, more than that, more than that. Uh, although one one funny thing, a little weirdness with here is when you look over the characters, the uh, Netrunner pregen uh, has six program slots on their uh, their board for, for hacking, but they can actually only include, they only have four options in the jumpstart itself. So you're just going to have empty slots anyway which is uh, a bit of a bummer. Um, no real options for them, and they can't even fill up what they have. It's growth potential. They have, they have things coming sure. for them, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, and as the Game Master, you can create your own programs if you'd like. It, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be that hard to do, because um, there's, again, a lot of actions for them to uh, interact with. But so uh, Yeah, that was just one thing that uh, kind of just ground my gears a little bit. Uh, there's another point I wanted to make about this, but uh, I'm sure I'll think about it in a sec. So I'm just going to ask you, Chig, would you play 
Cyberpunk Red? I would 100% play Cyberpunk Red. Yes. Nice. How about you? Would you play Cyberpunk Red? Yeah, definitely. You know, the uh, the system is uh, you know slightly more streamlined than it used to be. The interlock is... Uh, it still it used to work, but uh, I feel like it would work a little bit better now. And Cyberpunk has always been a classic setting, so I'd be really excited to uh, play some Cyberpunk Red in the future. You know, I've mentioned many times I enjoy Shadowrun, and I actually enjoy the Cyberpunk elements of it a lot more than the weird fantasy mystical stuff. So uh, I think just getting into a uh, a neat Cyberpunk setting like this would be great. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm with you 100%. Cool. Now, Chick, you've played uh, Cyberpunk. Do you want to kind of share some war stories or anything like that? Any like cool highlights that could uh, get listeners excited for the setting or the style of gameplay? Sure, absolutely. I played a homeless rocker. <laughs> nice. Uh, because, you know, you're supposed to be poor and you're supposed to be downtrodden. And uh, this might come as a shock to some of our, our listeners, but uh, I like to play talkie characters. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah. The, the rocker boy was basically the bard of the setting, and I'm sure that it'll continue to be that. But, uh, you know, in in traditional fantasy games, you know, your bard can have, you know, they can, you know, do charm spells on one or two people at a time. You know, they can they can maybe change the course of a combat. But uh, in cyberpunk, uh, if they get the uh, the roll abilities, similar enough to the the previous editions uh the rocker boy can control well not control but can influence thousands of people so you can have a show where you know you're you're saying hey you know who sucks that corporation over there they super suck and then you know the next day you've affected their stock and you know they've they've lost billions of dollars or you know thousands of dollars because you know all the kids hate them now because you said they suck. So it's a it's a real fun game. It's a real fun system, and uh, it's got something for everybody. Although I was a little upset that the uh, the media role did not appear in uh, Cyberpunk Red because or it didn't appear in the Jumpstart. It says it'll be in the in the main book uh, mm-hmm. because I mean, who doesn't like Max Headroom? I like it. It's a lot of fun. Exactly. But yeah. didn't they didn't have room for it, which is understandable. Yeah. Oh, there was another cool thing that I wanted to bring up, actually. So on each of the pre-generated characters that they included, there is actually different stat blocks. So you can um, there's six stat blocks. You can roll a D6 and get one randomly selected for you. Or you can just try out different ones. So it gives a lot of replayability to the characters, uh, which is definitely nice because there's no other character uh, generation or character creation rules included in the jumpstart. Those are going to be in the core book later. Um, but that does give you a bit more, um, again, replayability with these characters, which is uh, really nice, I think. Yeah, absolutely. The The stats aren't going to be, you know, completely different. You're not going to have, uh, you're not going to have a, a tech who has really low tech skill in one of the stat blocks. Right. Uh, but yeah, they'll be, they'll be different enough that, uh, that you'll notice during play. Jig, anything you want to ask me? Uh, what would you do for a Klondike? No, there's nothing I'd like to ask. You were, we're good. I would tear down a corporation for a Klondike bar. Well, as long as it's not the corporation that makes Klondike bars, that's a fantastic plan. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, where can listeners find us? 
on this here internet. Yeah, kind of in closing here, you can, uh, of course, get to us uh, on email through darkdaysradio at gmail.com. We are on facebook.com slash darkdaysradio. We have a Twitter, which is at darkdaysradio. We also have Instagram, Tumblr. We're on tabletop with many articles. We have a YouTube channel and uh, also some Twitch streaming. And of course, we have a super awesome Discord with a link to it in the show notes. So definitely join us there and uh, just talk about World of Darkness, horror, cyberpunk, whatever you want. Jig, again, thank you very much for uh, coming here on the show. And uh, again, thank you to our Thorian for uh, giving us a copy of uh, the Cyberpunk Red Jumpstart. Uh, pretty rad game. Very excited to see how the uh, core book comes out. And uh, of course, everyone's really excited to see how the uh, Cyberpunk 2077 game uh, turns out. That's uh, uh, definitely going to be pretty exciting. When is that coming out? Uh, it just got delayed, and who knows now. Um, yeah, that's what I thought. Google search it and see if you can find out. So, Chig, again, thank you very much. And to all the listeners out there, take it easy and have a good night. This has been an episode of Darker Days Radio. Special thanks to Occam's Laser for the intro, outro, and new bumper music from their hit album, Nine Circles. Check out the rest of their work at occamslaser.bandcamp.com. Come <laughs>